0: Well, there's a song we sing over and over at this time of the year, and you know it very well, but I want to ask you to insert a word, okay? And insert it with vigor. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And no one, none of us would argue with that at a certain level, but can I add, it might be appropriate to say it's the most confusing time of the year. It's amazing to me to see what's happened with the Christmas holiday, even since I was a kid, how it's evolved and changed and become more corporate and more commercial. I certainly am not anti-Christmas, but what I've I've done tonight is different than we typically do on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. I've I've collected some questions that have come up this year and in the last few that I just want to talk to you about. Uh, at the end, I think Amiral and Adam are going to have some, uh, some uh, microphones. And we can move around and just talk about these things. Preaching is part of the function of an elder at the church, but so is shepherding. And sometimes shepherding is talking things through from a biblical perspective. And that's certainly what I want us to do tonight. I want to begin by talking about two extremes about Christmas that I think we need to recognize and hopefully avoid. The first is absolute absorption in Christmas where we we uh, uh, spend more time and attention on this day for this month at this time of the year than anything else we do. We spend money, uh, uncounted money on decorations and on uh, um, uh, presents, uh, sometimes even going into debt for those things and uh, sometimes giving presents because of good reasons and sometimes giving presents out of guilt. Well, they got me something, so I better get them something. I know people who have multiple gifts just laying around in case someone gifts them unexpectedly. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Total absorption in the holiday. It just kind of becomes your life. You know, uh, from eating too much to gorging on Hallmark movies to uh, um, I got you, didn't I? I saw some of those, some of those faces. It, total absorption where it becomes the dominating force for a month of your life. But the other side is kind of a legalistic stiff arm pushing it away. I want to read you a quote from somebody and ask you to figure out who said this. Okay, Ready? I hold it to be one of the greatest absurdities under heaven to think that there is any virtue or religion in keeping Christmas Day. The writer goes on to say, we have no superstitious regard for times or seasons. Certainly we do not believe in the present ecclesiological arrangement called Christmas. Charles Spurgeon did not and would not celebrate Christmas, nor allow his church to. I think if our friend, Dr., uh, I don't think he was a doctor, Mr. Spurgeon, uh, came into our church and saw our Christmas trees and our lights, he, he would say, you can't, can't take my sacred desk. Uh, you can't keep it. This is a modeled after Spurgeon's pulpit. He would probably take it with him if he saw that. Well, there's gotta be somewhere in between, isn't there? Absolute absorption where it dominates your life and saying no, there's no uh, value in it, and it's absurd um, to be the greatest absurdity, as he says, that anyone would keep Christmas Day. Well what are we supposed to do with this? Um, I've, I've pulled together some questions, and just want us to talk a little about this. If you have questions, we're going to talk about this at the end, but just kind of a, uh, a fireside chat, if you will. Let's, let's think about these things from a biblical perspective. First of all, how did Christmas become a holiday? I think it's really important for us to remember, I doubt anyone in our church believes this or understands this or thinks this, Christmas was never a holiday celebrated in the Bible. It was never a holiday commanded to be celebrated in the Bible. Not only that, Jesus was almost certainly not born December 25th. Uh, that was actually a, a Christian pushback, a Catholic pushback to a pagan holiday to try to get the attention on the church rather than on the pagan gods. But that's a longer story than we have time to go into tonight. Jesus was not officially born on December 20th. I think it's 25th. 20, it is the 25th, isn't it? That the Christmas? I need to remember that. Um, I find it interesting that there's nothing in the Scriptures that tell us When he was born. Isn't that curious? That's a curious fact. Why wouldn't he tell us? If this was such an important day, don't you think he would have told us which day it was? But we don't know. Likely in the spring, if you do the math on the the prophecies. But for the record, it came into being on December 25th as a counter celebration to a pagan holiday. Another question. Um, And I was asked this today. Standing in the atrium, looking at Christmas trees in that direction and uh, Christmas trees in that direction. And the question was, you know, aren't these pagan uh, um, uh, celebrations? Isn't this, aren't we tipping the hat to a pagan celebration by having wreaths in our service, uh, in our worship center, and uh, Christmas trees in our our, um, atrium? Well, no, for, for the record, we've always had a Christmas tree at the Holland House. We don't celebrate any foreign gods by having a Christmas tree. There's no pagan worship that happens in the Holland House. I hope you're, you're feeling safe to know that now. But we do have a Christmas tree that stands there um, uh, with not enough presents under it for me, but that's another discussion all together. Um, actually came from... Uh, uh, the ancient celebration of Saturnalia, another pagan ritual that Christians adopted and said we're going to use this as our own. Now, interesting, the first person that we know of in, on record to have lighted a Christmas tree may have been Martin Luther, who used real candles on a real pine. Now, if you're a fireman, I don't want to go into the details of that and to give you some kind of a coronary event and you'll have to leave, but that was... Probably not the smartest thing to have done. Actually, they were almost all decorated in forests around the city. And it was much later than that. They were cut down and brought into the house. Um, So for the record, I know where it came from. And for the record, I don't think it's tipping the hat or bowing the knee to Saturnalia by having a Christmas tree. Uh, If that's your conviction, you certainly don't have to have one in your house. Now, I want to be sensitive with this one because I'm asked this almost weekly. That's, that's probably not true. I'm asked it multiple times a week, almost every year of every Christmas season. And that's what about Santa Claus? Now, I'm not going to uh, make any grand um, announcements here, and you need to talk about this with your family. Let me just say this some general principles. Lying is wrong, <laughs> it's a sin. Um, if you want to have fun with something, that, that's one thing. But to tell a child that something is true when it is not is a lie. <clears throat> Think about even the, the greater dimension of that. This man is supposed to be omnipresent and omniscient, supernatural, brings judgment to kids once a year, but apparently not to their parents. I just would encourage you to have deep theological discussions about this and your convictions about that around the house. Um, For the record, that was never a part of our home or our our celebration, and we had very strong convictions about that. I would just encourage you to think it through biblically, not emotionally, not culturally, and not because uh, it makes for good pictures. Um, You can still do a picture and not... Fib about it, lie about it. I hope I navigated that well enough to avoid the emails this week. I think what's disturbing to me most is the attributes, the divine attributes we attribute to this this, uh, uh, man named Nicholas who actually used to give um, uh, gifts to children back in the day, the fourth century. Actually, beyond that, he was also rumored to have raised boys from the dead, who had been killed to be uh, uh, chopped up and used for bacon. That was his main early fame. Um, to read his history is, is, um, is odd and disturbing, to be frank. Um, actually, it wasn't until 1822, with the poem, "It was the night before Christmas, that it became an American um, staple to have uh, St. Nick and Santa Claus as a part of American culture, just for the record. Let the emails begin. <clears throat> Just a couple of fun things. Uh, Aaron and I had so much fun with this one this this week. Uh, Did the angels really sing? Simple answer is no. They said, they talked. But there is some poetic license that we can take. They were praising God and we do, (laughs) I'm getting amens from the front row. And we praise God by singing. I don't think we need to tear pages out of our hymnals because it says the angels said. It doesn't say the angels sang. Um, But I think it's important to be accurate at the same time. It's still okay to sing, hark, wouldn't it be odd, hark the herald angels, say, that that sounds a little, you're saying, please don't ever sing that again, Rick. Okay, I I heard that. It's okay to sing that. Just for the record, um, there's only two times that angels are ever said to sing in the scriptures. One is in Job 38 verse 7 which was as the Lord was creating the earth, there was this amazing choir of angels singing praise to the creator. And the other time is in Revelation chapter five, verses eight to 10, when um, the curse is reversed and they sing then. So they sing in the creation and when the curse is reversed and nowhere do we see angels singing in between. But it's okay to say that. Is that all right? We can... your life is ruined. <laughs> Our prayer room is open after the, <laughs> after the service. We can bear your burden with you, my friend. It's okay to, look, there's some poetic license. We're not gonna be, we're not tearing pages out of our hymnals, okay? Uh, another thing that's, that's kind of interesting is that most of our nativity scenes are wrong. Um, the wise men, that's the problem, right? If you read Matthew 2 and you realize that there, there's two Herods in Matthew 2, we, was it last week we talked about this with, with Antipas? There's Herod the Great uh, who um, uh, made the decree to to kill the babies. And then two years later, uh, Herod, his son uh, Archelaus, was on the throne. And when the two years was up, Jesus was in Egypt. This is all in Matthew 2. Um, well, let's back up in Matthew 2. The, the Herod the Great speaks to these uh, magi, and, uh, to ascertain when the Messiah came, and he figured it out and decided that to be safe, he would kill every baby, how old and younger? Two years old and younger. So the, the wise men were likely not there until two years later. Then after the two years, he was in Egypt being safe. He comes back up. He hears that Herod Archelaus is in charge, Herod the Great's son, and the angel warns him, says, go to Galilee, go straight past Jerusalem and go to Galilee you'll be safe from him and uh, that's so Jesus settled in uh, Nazareth and grew up there Um, also there nothing in the text tells us there were three wise men it tells us there were three gifts now that that doesn't mean that there weren't three wise men but it doesn't mean there weren't ten wise men either Um, They did cause quite a ruckus in Jerusalem and then uh, departed from Herod before he wanted to call them back and they wanted no part of that because they felt they were being played to find the the Christ child. So very interesting to put that. And don't throw your nativity scenes away, please. And if you do, give us one. Um, We'd be glad to take it and set it up in our house. It's quite fine to do that. If you have a little drummer boy there, that's another question um, after our concert, though, maybe we should leave the drummer boy in, right? It's good. Um, I was asked this too, and it's really interesting. Um, uh, I was talking to some of my sons about a professor at Boyce College who kind of makes a fun deal out of this. Uh, did baby Jesus cry? And the reason that people ask that is, uh, in Silent Night, there's the indication that he's pretty quiet. Now he may have had good nights but I think he cried. Um, he was fully man, and crying is not a sin. Jesus didn't sin, so I don't think it's, it's bad uh, or bad theology to assume that the baby Jesus did cry. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make too big a deal of that, but people project his humanity sometimes to be somehow protected from dirty diapers and crying. He was a baby, and that was Okay. Um, where do we get our calendar? You you know this the, the the birth of Jesus next to his crucifixion the most important events in history the entire uh, Gregorian calendar is built off of of his birth and um, it was significant later on liberal theologians would start saying before the Christian era wouldn't say B C they would say B C E and if you've seen that in in certain um, uh, textbooks that's that's saying, well, we understand that this was based on Christ, but we don't like Christ, so we're gonna call it the Christian era instead of that. Um, The bigger question, though, of Christmas is, do we really understand the humanity of Jesus in the moment of the incarnation? We spend so much time, rightly so, defining and defending the deity of Christ, which is the the first place to start because if you have a man who is claiming to be and acting like and preaching like and teaching like God who dies and raises from the dead, you need to say, well, this was not an ordinary man, but very few people go the other direction and accent that Christ was, Jesus was a human, fully human, the the only real, fully uh, realized human who had ever lived. So when we say what child is this, he was the God man. This morning, uh, Jim beautifully sang, um, when you've kissed the little baby, you kiss the face of God. Completely true. But she also kissed a little human baby, right? Now, with all that, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. (coughs) Colossians chapter 2. One of my favorite verses for the Christmas season is Colossians 2, verse 9. We'll get a running start in from verse 8. But if you want to know, answer the question, what is Christmas really about? It, you can define it in one verse. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to the cross for... In other words, think biblically, think categorically in God's uh, uh, mindset, not the world's. Four, because in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwelt, there's his deity. In bodily form, there's his humanity. He's both God and man. Now, with that, flip over to a passage that Aaron read for us and with us. Uh, A few minutes ago, Philippians chapter 2. In Matthew and Luke, we get the Christmas narrative. In Philippians 2, we get the Christmas theology. What I find interesting about this passage, every time I I turn to it, I'm struck by the fact that this great pronouncement of Christology, of of theology about Jesus is given, get this, only as an illustration for a command to be humble and to humble ourselves. It's, it's incredible. Um, start at the beginning. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, Paul says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That may be the title of the Christmas message written from heaven. Because then he explains the why. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others and have this attitude in yourselves which also existed in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard such a state, equality with God, a thing to be grasped or put on display, fully utilized. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, literally, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, his obedience, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that, here's the name God bestowed on him Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Quotation from Isaiah 45 Only God is Lord, Jesus is Lord, therefore Jesus is God. You know, Christmas, in a strange sense, is about arithmetic. Some people think that Jesus is, is God minus something. He set aside his glory. Mild he lays his glories by, and he did that. We find out here that he did not regard equality with, with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Uh, in theology, I remember memorizing the statement, he, he voluntarily set aside the use of some of his divine attributes in the incarnation. All true. But the incarnation is not God minus anything. It's God plus human flesh. It's the perfect confluence of divinity and and humanity. The incarnation was God plus human flesh, not God minus deity. He set aside the exercise of of those attributes. He did not set aside his his godness, his his deity. One One of the things I find growing in my own life, you know, Closer to 60 than 50, and that's becoming apparent more and more as I look in the mirror and try to walk and those kind of things. When I look at my soul, I find that I'm growing ever closer to understanding Christ at the same time his identity becomes ever more mysterious. I see a couple of. Older folks kind of nodding. You understand what I mean? It becomes more clear and more mysterious and ununderstandable at the same time. And I think that's a, that's a point of worship. At some point, you have to say, "How is He fully God and truly man?" And you say, "I don't know, but He was and is." One of my favorite questions to ask in evangelism—we've talked about this before—is to ask someone. Uh, you've seen the documentaries out and these, these speculations. Where are the bones of Jesus? Where are Jesus' bones? You know that there was supposedly a, uh, uh, a little uh, uh, box, bone box found with Jesus' bones. It said Jesus, son of Joseph. And, and so people say this had to be the, the bones of Jesus. And then Discovery Channel does this big um, uh, documentary on it. Uh, if those are Jesus' bones, We're in trouble. In fact, Paul says we are of all men to be pitied. People should feel sorry for us. Why would we restrain the flesh, do morally right and righteous things if he's not alive? We know where the bones of Jesus are, don't we? They are in his body, his resurrected body, sitting at the right hand of God. Aren't they? Is that what you believe? And what is he doing? He's making intercession for the saints, Romans 8 tells us. So it's important to remember that he was not only the God-man on earth. He will forever be the God-man in heaven. Forever. Someone has said, very rightly so, the only contribution man ever made to heaven were the scars on Jesus' body. It's a great thought. It's a sad and a glorious thought at the same time so as you think about Christmas I, I, don't, I don't think it's all important to think about the holiday it's important to think about the incarnation the mysterious reality that God became man now to understand that a little more and I'm sneaking into a little bit of my, my Christmas message next week but turn to Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 14, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, might free those through, who through fear of death were a subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in the way in which he has suffered, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He became human flesh for some very redemptive reasons, not just to save us in the end, but to give us Sanctifying salvation, grace, and power in our life now. So, those are some questions that I've been asked. I, this is a, this is like I said, fireside chat, family night talk. Uh, Myra and uh, Adam, do you have questions about celebrating Christmas? About Christmas, uh, um, uh, you want to ask uh, uh, what to get someone in the in the room? We can we can certainly do that. There. Any questions about that, Ryan? Ryan has his hand up with a smile on his face. That always makes me nervous, Ryan. What advice do you have for, you know, just to give you a clear example of going to extended family's houses, enjoying Christmas. And, you know, Christ says in the family, in the sense of, you know, we know about Christ, we maybe affirm those truths. How, do you, how would you give advice on giving devotionals and trying to get the focus on Christ rather than on a secular holiday? Great question. first of all, uh, be careful to not not to manipulate Christmas. Um, you know you walk in and there's a, some marginal Christian Uh, In your family, you walk in, you say, well, I see you have a Christmas tree. Do you really know what the Christmas uh, uh, message is? Why don't you sit down and I'll tell you. I mean, there's a a graciousness that we should have. We speak the truth in love. We make a defense for the hope within us. I would make it personal. Find a time to be able to say, can I tell you what thinking about the incarnation means to me in this holiday? That Typically, people won't won't push back. Now, if they ask you to do a devotional or ask you to share, now I think you've, you've got an invitation. But I found with many people in my extended family who are marginal in their faith, to start with, let me talk to you about why it's, a, the reasons it's important to me is a good envoy in and, and you typically, they, what, what do they say? Well, I mean, postmodern says, well, that's okay, that's what it means to you. It's just what it means to you is the truth. So uh, I would start with your personal affection for the Lord and your love for the meaning of God becoming flesh. So put it, put it in your own, own the message yourself and why it's meaningful to you. Great question. Yes, Ryan, another question. Uh, just as a follow-up, if you do get an invitation to do a devotional, just from your experience, how do you go about doing those things or some things that you do? Yeah, if you're given an invitation to uh, do some kind of Christmas devotional in a marginally Christian environment, which is I think what you said, I would start with something familiar with them. Matthew 1, Luke 2, and then get to where the scriptures take you from something that's familiar. I might not go to Philippians chapter 2, and that 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 might be the deep end of the pool, but you can start with the basic narrative of Christmas, which is in our Bibles and means something. I love Matthew uh, 1, which, which gets at, you know, it, there's two names there, right? Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus, which is Joshua, God is Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, one's the title, one's the, the, the surname, the, the, the first name, the given name, rather. So you can go a lot of places from there. But I would, I would accent what's familiar to them and, um, and give meaning and explanation to that, I think. Aaron is that a question was that a question okay I saw that yeah so I was just curious as uh, to your thoughts at, a, I guess a deeper level of like um, you know gift giving you know we're expecting a kid so I think we're rethinking a lot of our theology not rethinking but thinking more deeply about our theology in a lot of areas of our life and uh, I'm interested just to hear you um, speak on uh, how do you give gifts to the glory of God? Well, gifting at Christmas is such a personal thing. There's nothing forbidden or commanded about it. Uh, it's a personal preference. It, I think we've, we've hit a place in America which is really sad where gifting uh, becomes uh, reciprocated sometimes out of guilt and reciprocated out of um, uh, like, well, he spent $22 on me. I got to spend $23 on him. And rather than the spirit of someone giving you something without, I, I, I trust, I trust that most of us would give a gift out of gracious gifting, not out of expectation that that's going to boomerang, right? I, I, I trust and I hope. Um, but those are things that you and your wife can, can think through and talk through, um, I would give you a warning, a good, a kind of friend-to-friend warning as you're raising small children. If you make Christmas about gifts, you're going to struggle to beat last year every year. Um, you, if, you don't, you shouldn't, none of us should measure gifts by walking into someone's house and seeing how many gifts are under the tree, right? Um, so you just be careful of the why and the how and the what. Um, but man, gifts are wonderful. They're expression of love. That's what they're, they're based on the wise men who gave something out of their honoring of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with giving something to someone and honoring their friendship or your, your relationship. You just gotta really be careful that the consumerism and materialism of our day doesn't seep into that and destroy it. And we have to be careful on the receiving side. You know, uh, someone gives us something and it's like, well, it's not really what I wanted. Is there a gift receipt? Um, If they say there's a gift receipt, praise God, go back to (laughs) and get it. But being thankful. I see a question right, is it a stone question right there in the back? All right. What's my favorite Christmas tradition? Are you really going to make me say this in front of everybody? Our whole family's favorite Christmas tradition is every Christmas. My wife gets up and makes homemade cinnamon rolls and eggs that don't get eaten, and eggs <laughs> that, uh, and it's kind of this, it's basically the Cinnabon recipe. But that's one of our favorite parts of Christmas morning is getting up and smelling that, 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 the cinnamon rolls. So that's my favorite tradition. Do you have a favorite one? What's your favorite? What'd she say? Hide the pickle. Hide the pickle. I'm not familiar with that Christmas tradition, but I'm oh so interested now. Is it a dill pickle? So, so everybody can hear it. There's, there's a Christmas ornament that's a sparkly pickle, and someone hides it, and whoever finds it gets a prize. They get to open presents first, right? They open their stocking first. I'm getting corrected here. I, I get it. That is a great Christmas tradition, and I think you should keep doing that. Myril. Yes, Rick. Um, just w- wondering what your approach would be to um, sharing the gospel with a coworker in my situation who's uh, Muslim during the Christmas time, um, and likely either doesn't know anything about Christianity, true Christianity, or has the worldview of um, you know Christians persecuting Muslims. And what was the last part about Christians persecuting Muslims? Just that she might have that opinion of yeah Christians. Yeah, the question is how we share the gospel with a a, a Muslim, someone uh, in Islam who doesn't know. I had the most incredible opportunity, our our whole family did a few years ago when I was out in California. I was invited by a girl who was teaching ESL, English, English as a second language, at the Buddhist temple to the monks. And they were asking her, what's Christmas about? And so she said, would you come and give a presentation about Christmas? So I got to take my family and stand with Buddha right behind me in the Buddhist temple and explain Christmas to Buddhist monks in the orange robes and it was incredible. But what I learned something that day, which I think is parallel here, which is to just simply say, do you you understand what Christmas is about? It's kind of a strange holiday. And if you just watch TV or walk down at the plaza and see the lights, you might be confused. Is there a time I can explain that to you? In other words, the holiday gives us an incredible invitation to say something like, maybe you don't understand this. this. It's not just an American thing. It's been Americanized, but it really goes back to something that happened in the Bible. Great opportunity, great question. Um, I learned something that this is completely, uh, I, think, I may have told you this. Some, we learned something about the monks that day, which were very, they were very healthy, but they couldn't eat after, um, by healthy, I mean, they were healthy, Um and they, but they, they're not allowed to eat after noon, after 12 in the day. But they didn't seem to be suffering from caloric deficiency. Um, and what they would do is all afternoon they would eat ice cream and cake, which they said doesn't count as eating because you don't have to chew it. <laughs> not making that up? <clears throat> and actually some of the sweetest, nicest guys you know we, we've met we're, were there. We got to go back, by the way, Uh, Four months later, they they said, well, can you come back and explain to us what Easter is? I would love to be able to do that. Then they changed their head, Monk, and I was never invited back, so. Yes, Kimberly. So, we've talked about this around the dinner table a little bit, but how would you encourage children, young children that are in public school, how to interact with their friends and other students about Santa Claus? yeah. Okay, um, where is my son, John? Okay, so John, we 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 didn't do a great job with this because we did, and, and if if you need to walk out with your children now, I, I'm okay, or or sing them a lullaby, um, because um, we every year Christmas would I, I'm telling you what not to do, uh, or have your kids do. Uh, love you, Johnny. Um, am I, is it okay to tell a story now that I've told it? <laughs> we went. Kim used to make cookies to take to all of our neighbors as just an evangelistic outreach and Merry Christmas. And she it was just so fun. We take our whole family to every uh, um, um, uh, house. We can't really do that now because we live in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and they can't take them because they're not kosher. We tried anyway. That's another interesting thing. Uh, so we went to take them to one house and uh, Kim and I were there, and the boys were back, and basically we said, hey, Merry Christmas. We want to give you these cookies. So grateful to be your, your neighbors. We, we understand the meaning of Christmas, and we just the basic you know, invitation, we gave them the cookies, and um, we were um, confronted and had the door slammed in our face because a certain son had uh, spoiled a certain myth in their child's um, mythology, uh, so, uh, but they took the cookies, um, which was interesting. Took the cookies, said, you've ruined my kids Christmas and slammed the door. Um, I would recommend not doing that. Uh, if your kids are dealing with kids who believe something that's not true, is just to say, instead of telling them that that's a lie, is to say, is to accent and major on, well, that's how some people think about Christmas, but we think about Christmas in a different way. Um, you know, so, if it's an unbeliever, spoiling their mythology doesn't have evangelistic traction. And so to teach our kids that that's, that's a worldview they have that we don't have to go correct, but we can say, that's what you do. Let me tell you what we do at Christmas and what, what our traditions are and the things that are important to us. And I've learned that, I think, the hard way. We, we could have shepherded our sons a little bit better from being Christmas apologists around the neighborhood. Um, so... Probably learned a hard lesson on that. Uh, They took the cookies and slammed the door. It was kind of, and there may have been some um, spiked eggnog involved in that home too, but that's another story. Okay, anything else? This is the place where everybody says, if no one else asks, we can leave early and that's a good night. I don't pretend to have all the answers. These are just things we can think through and talk through together. Um, About celebrating Christmas. Shoulds, shouldn'ts. Going once. Okay, let me ask a couple of questions then of some of the kids, okay? Um, Erica, what's your, uh, uh, I was asked already, what's yes, Erica Salzman. Yes, you. What's your favorite Christmas tradition that your family does? I like that. You take a bowl and you put eggs in it. Okay, I thought we were talking about Easter for a second there. Okay, I'm sorry. I may, I may have to have you help me translate here, uh, Aaron. Take a bowl, slips of paper in it. They have names on the paper. Oh, so you draw names for each other's stock. That's a great idea. Can my name go in that bowl? (laughs) She looks at mom. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Aiden, you were helping me with the sermon this morning. What's your favorite Christmas tradition? What do you do at Christmas time that you really like? Can you translate that, Brian? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, they'll recite Luke 2. They recite Luke 2. Uh huh. They also, Jim started this with them put dollars at the dollar store with a gospel message and a candy cane. Excellent. Perfect. Really good. Thanks, Aiden. Uh, Rachel, what's your favorite Christmas tradition? We'll be done in just a second. These are important things for us to hear, though. What's your favorite Christmas tradition? Is there something you like to eat that your mom makes around the time? Bonbons? I'm already intrigued. So what what are they? Peanut butter, Krispies, sugar, Peanut butter, Rice Krispies, powdered sugar, covered in chocolate and powdered sugar, right? And Dixie, what what time can we come over? Uh, and what are these Christmas Day or is this before Christmas? Usually before, just let us know the day and we will come caroling at your house. <laughs> for sure, great. Well, good, this is just thing, a good time for us to, to wrap our minds around things with each other. Talk about these things in your care group. We don't want to be, like at the beginning, over-consumed with Christmas and also irreverently ignorant, uh, ignoring it um, at, um, at a, a kind of an offensive level. Um, I, I, was anyone surprised that that quote came from Spurgeon? Yeah, I, I was. Um, so think about these things. Talk about them. You're shaping the theology of your children during this month as much as any month of the year. It's really an invitation by God to, to, uh, to go to Scripture and have the definition of the God-man and the narrative of the God-man recited and embraced and understood in these little minds that they will ponder Like Mary did in treasuring these things in her heart, they'll ponder the rest of their lives. Let me pray for us.